Okay, Ruth chapter 3, <coughs> starting at verse 1. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to Ruth, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, or our kinsman-redeemer, with whom the young men you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Now, during these almost three months, Naomi has been watching, and she has been seeing what has happening. She has been seeing that Boaz seems to be kind of interested in Ruth. And so Naomi starts to plan to bring the two of them together. And this, in their culture, was completely, totally acceptable. Because in their culture, pretty well all marriages were arranged marriages. So the mothers would get together, they would plan, and the marriage would be arranged. Ruth has no parents around to step in to do any arranging for her. Boaz is older probably never married. And Naomi's watching, and she thinks that Boaz probably just needs a little bit of a push. So she decides that she is going to give him the push that he needs to bring Boaz and Ruth together. Naomi reminds Ruth that Boaz is our kinsman redeemer. Now, a kinsman redeemer is a close relative who has some obligations, some responsibilities. And two of, the, two of the many responsibilities of a kinsman redeemer were to redeem land and to redeem people. So if a person sold a piece of land to pay off a debt, that land left the family. And so it was the responsibility of a kinsman redeemer to redeem that land, to purchase it and to bring it back into the family. And the second responsibility of a kinsman redeemer was to redeem people. There were times in this culture when people would find themselves in such significant debt that the only way they could pay off that debt was either to sell themselves or to sell a family member into slavery and then take that money and use it to pay off the debt. And the responsibility of the kinsman redeemer was to redeem that person that had been sold into slavery, to pay a price to buy them back and to set them free. Now, two weeks ago, we talked about leveret marriage, and that's going to play into our story again today. Leveret marriage, you have a couple, husband and wife, husband dies. It's the responsibility of the deceased husband's brother-in-law to marry the widow, and when they have a son, that son becomes not the heir of the brother-in-law, but the heir of the deceased husband. So he carries on his name, carries on his heritage, and also inherits his land so that the land stays in the family. And in these verses here, it would seem that, Ruth, or that Naomi is thinking both of kinsman redeemer and of leveret marriage as she begins to plan for Boaz and for Ruth. Now, Naomi knows where Boaz is going to be that night. He's going to be out in the field winnowing the grain. And after winnowing the grain, he's going to stay in the field during the night just to protect the grain from thieves. <clears throat> Verse 3. So this is Naomi's advice to Ruth. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until after he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go, uncover his feet, 
and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. So Naomi gives Ruth a clear set of instructions. And basically what she's saying to Ruth is, look your best. If Boaz hasn't noticed Ruth so far, Naomi's going to make sure that he does now. But in Boaz's defense, the only times he's ever seen Ruth is when she's been out working hard in the field. And because Ruth is in grieving, she is wearing grieving garments. So she's wearing probably a very heavy black dress. And that's all that Boaz has ever seen her wearing. So Naomi's advice to Ruth is very simple. Take a bath, use some perfume, wear your nicest dress. And the reason to wear a nice dress is because when Ruth takes off her grieving garments and wears something else, she is sending out a signal that she's no longer grieving and that she is now ready to be married. And then the fourth uh, set of instructions is go and present yourself to Boaz. But be careful how you do things. Go to Boaz at night just in case anyone else sees you so that uh, Boaz will not be embarrassed. Wait till he goes to sleep, then uncover his feet and lay down beside him. Why uncover his feet? <clears throat> Simple reason. During the night, his feet are going to get cold because they're uncovered. So when he wakes up because his feet are cold, he's going to notice that Ruth is lying there beside him. And what Ruth is doing is she is going to present herself to Boaz as an eligible spouse. And Naomi is trusting Boaz enough to know that he will do the right thing. Verse 5. <clears throat> And Ruth replied, All that you say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and ju did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then Ruth came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings, another word for garment. Spread your garment over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And Boaz said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman." Ruth follows Naomi's instructions, and suddenly, during the night, Boaz is awakened. His feet are cold, and as he turns over to cover up his feet, he notices that there is a woman lying beside him, and it's so dark that he doesn't know who it is until Ruth identifies herself. And before Boaz has a chance to respond, Ruth basically proposes to him. She asks him to cover her with his garment, and in their culture... When a man covered a woman with his garment, that was a metaphor for marriage. She's placing herself under the protection of Boaz, and she wants him to claim her as his wife. And she reminds Boaz that she can make this request because he is her kinsman redeemer. Boaz compliments Ruth. She's again putting family first, just like she did when she worked in the fields to support Naomi. And now she's putting family first by seeking out Boaz, a kinsman redeemer, to be her husband. You know, there were many young men in the town of Bethlehem who would gladly have married Ruth, but she does the right thing and goes to a kinsman redeemer. 
and Boaz commits to doing whatever needs to be done to fill Ruth's request. But then look at verse 11. Look at what Boaz says to Ruth. Everyone knows that you are a worthy or a virtuous woman. And this is an incredibly remarkable statement. In Proverbs 31, verse 10, we read this, an excellent or worthy wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. And excellent here is the same word as worthy or virtuous in the Hebrew language. And then the remaining verses in Proverbs 31 go on to describe this worthy or this virtuous woman. And you've all got your Bibles open. You notice that in our English Bibles, the book of Ruth is placed after the book of Judges because that's where it fits chronologically. But in the Hebrew Bible, the book of Ruth is placed after the book of Proverbs. And the reason they do this is because they see Ruth as the fulfillment of that excellent, virtuous woman that is talked about in Proverbs chapter 31. The only woman in the whole Old Testament who is called virtuous and worthy is Ruth. No one else in the Old Testament is given that title, is given that compliment. Ruth was a woman of amazing character. And in the Hebrew Bible, she's placed where she is after that description because that description describes her. What an incredible Ruth, or sorry, incredible honor given to Ruth. Verse 12, and now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until morning. All of a sudden, we learn some new information. We never knew this before. Boaz is not the closest relative. There is one other person who is closer to Elimelech than Boaz was. And in their culture, the closest relative always gets the first right of acceptance or refusal, especially as we're going to find out in a few verses when there is land involved. Boaz is clear, I want to redeem you. I want to be your kinsman redeemer. But by custom, I must speak to the closer redeemer first and give him the choice. If he will, let him. If not, I will redeem you. And Boaz promises action in the morning. Verse 14. So Ruth lay down at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And Boaz said, Let it not be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. She held it out, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. And then she went into the city, and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then Ruth told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. And Naomi replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Ruth stays under Boaz's protection through the night and then leaves early in the morning. And as a parting gift, he gives her six scoops of barley. And we're not told exactly what that is, but the different Bible scholars figure that's around 80 pounds, a huge amount of grain. Ruth or Boaz didn't want Ruth to return to Naomi empty-handed. But I think Boaz is thinking ahead a bit here, because if he marries Ruth, Naomi also becomes his mother-in-law. So he's sending a gift to the lady who may become his mother-in-law. And when Ruth tells Naomi what happened, 
Naomi's response can be summed up in two words. Wait, trust. Wait, patient, wait patiently for Boaz to do the right thing. And trust Boaz to do the right thing. How hard are those two words in your life? How often do you find yourself waiting? You pray for something for years and years and years, and you wait and wait for an answer. And the answer just doesn't always come quickly, does it? Especially when we're waiting on God. We wait and we wait, and nothing seems to change. Maybe you're, you're praying for a family member or a close relative or a neighbor or a situation, and you pray and you pray, and it just seems to go on and on, and nothing seems to change. And we wait patiently for God to answer the prayer. But there's one thing that makes waiting easier, and that's trust. While we're waiting, we trust in God to do the right thing at the right time. We know that. That is our God. That is who he is. And as we wait, we trust him. So do you trust God enough to wait patiently on him to do the right thing at the right time? Can you trust him in that way as you wait? Chapter 4, verse 1. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. Then he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. So Boaz immediately, the next morning, takes the steps to settle this matter. He goes to the city gate. Now the city gate is that part of the city where everything happened. That's where people met. That's where all the important things happened. That's even where legal business took place. And when that nearer relative passes by, Boaz calls him over and asks him to sit down, and then he asks ten elders to sit down so they can witness what's about to happen. Verse 3, Then Boaz said to the Redeemer, Naomi has come back from the country of Moab and is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, Buy it in the presence of these sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one beside you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Boaz explains the situation to this close relative, but you notice he doesn't tell him the whole story. He leaves a few things out. And it's now that we learn that Elimelech's land is part of the package. Elimelech was a significant landowner, and perhaps the land had been mortgaged out or leased, while he and the family went to Moab. And Naomi cannot afford to look after the land. She can't afford to maintain it. Maybe she has a debt, and she needs to sell the land to pay off the debt. And when she sells the land, it's going to leave the family. And remember, it's the right and obligation of a kinsman redeemer to buy the land to keep it in the family. And Boaz is simply saying to this fella, you're first, I'm second. If you will redeem it, go ahead. If you won't redeem it, and I will. And the man's response, I will redeem the land. Verse 5. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I in 
impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now Boaz tells the closer redeemer the whole story. I wonder if there's just a little bit of scheming here on the part of Boaz. Land is only half of the deal. Ruth is also included in the package. And some of you will respond and say, oh, what an awful way to speak of Ruth like that. But this was their accepted cultural way of doing things. It was the way they did it. And no one in the crowd would have been shocked at the words of Boaz. They would have simply nodded and thought, yep, that makes perfect sense. To redeem the land includes leveret marriage. To acquire the land means to fulfill the social obligations to the family widow, to Ruth. And in in our Bibles, verse 4 and verse 5 are right next to each other. But I can just imagine that in between those two verses, there was a long debate and discussion. It may have gone on even for hours as the nearer kinsman redeemer argues at Boaz and said, no, it's just a deal for the land. Ruth isn't included in this. And Boaz argues back and says, yes, this is a leveret marriage situation. Ruth is included in it. And finally, you can just see the elders step in and they say, Boaz is right. Acquiring the land includes marrying Ruth, the widow. Marriage is part of the package. And when the nearer kinsman finally understood and finally realized this, you notice he didn't say, I won't redeem the land. He said, I cannot redeem the land. Why? Because it will damage my inheritance. He doesn't give a reason. But just just think about what's going on here. By marrying Ruth, he is becoming financially responsible to to support Ruth, Naomi, and any children that he and Ruth will have. And those of us who are parents know it's costly to have a family. Families don't come cheap, do they? But there's an additional reason here. This would be a leveret marriage. So the land that he is redeeming will not stay in his family. When he and Ruth have a son, that son will become the legal heir of Malon. And he will take Malon's name and all of Elimelech's land that he paid to redeem will go to this son. It will not stay in his family. So he's paying this huge expense to redeem the land, but he's not realizing any of the financial benefits of the land. Huge financial commitment. Pay for the land, support a family with no long-term financial benefits. It's no wonder, he says, this will damage my estate. So he passes on the right of redemption to Boaz. And I, I can just imagine if we had been in the crowd that day watching, you would have seen a huge smile break out on the face of Boaz right about then. This was his desire, and his heart fills with joy. That's why he played the situation the way he did. He wanted to marry Ruth. It, it almost looks like he set things up in such a way as to force the, the closer kinsman redeemer to say no so that he could marry Ruth. Verse 7. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. What a strange custom. Have you ever heard of anybody finalizing a land transaction by giving their shoe to the buyer? But that's what's happening here. And it's interesting where this custom came from. In Deuteronomy, 
Here's what God said to the, to the people of Israel. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads shall be yours. And later on, he said the same thing to Joshua. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you just as I promised to Moses. In their way of thinking, walking on the land was the same as possessing the land. So owning the sandal that had walked on the land was the same as owning the land. And now the land transaction is complete and Boaz can purchase the land. <clears throat> Verse 9, Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and to Malon. And Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Boaz confirms in front of all these witnesses that he has acquired the land of Elimelech, of Malon, and of Kilion. And all those watching, both elders and bystanders, are legal witnesses. And you'll notice in verse 10, Boaz is referring to Leveret marriage. Because there is no brother-in-law, and because he is now the nearest relative, he becomes, in a sense, that brother-in-law. And he's saying that his first son will perpetuate Malon's name, and implied in that, will inherit the land. And in this way, Malon will not be forgotten. In purchasing the land, Boaz is seen as a redeemer. Remember, a redeemer is one who buys back something that is lost. He's one who pays a price to free someone or something from captivity. And here he's purchasing the land to keep it in the family. And as a result, he's freeing Ruth from widowhood and he's freeing Malon from obscurity. And this is expensive for Boaz. It is costing him a huge amount of money because he's purchasing the land of three people, a large amount of land. Plus he's taking on the responsibility, the financial responsibility of a wife, a mother-in-law and of children and he gets no financial benefit from the land. Because once his and Ruth's first son is of age, all this land goes to that son. Verse 11, Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you, Boaz, act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So those who are watching, those bystanders and the elders, they bless Ruth and Naomi, or sorry, Ruth and Boaz in three different ways. First of all, they bless them to be like Rachel and Leah, to have lots of kids like Rachel and Leah did. And then secondly, they bless Boaz, that he will be a man of renown, respected within the community. How would you like to be a person of renown, respected within your community? And then the third blessing is that they will have as famous a child as Perez, who was the, who the son of Judah, and how famous he was, because Perez was the ancestor of the Bethlehemites. Verse 13, so Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. 
Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Ruth and Boaz wed, they have a son, and the son's name is Obed. Now if you look at verse 13, the way verse 13 is worded, it would seem that Ruth was barren, that she was unable to have children. God heals her, and she has a son. And we have a home that is filled with joy. And then the women express their joy. God has given Naomi a redeemer, Obed. The family line of Elimelech will not end. It will carry on in Obed. And they bless Obed. May he be famous. And the women also praise Ruth in the highest way possible. They praise her for the incredible love that she had shown to Naomi, her mother-in-law. The women declare that, that Ruth meant more to Naomi than seven sons. No higher praise in this culture could have been given to Ruth. And Naomi is filled with joy. She had expected a lonely old age. She had expected that her family line would end, that no one would carry on her family. Her future had looked so bleak, and now she has the joy of holding and caring for her grandson. She has a family. She has an heir, and she is filled with joy. And was Obed famous? Yes, he was. He was the grandfather of David, the man after God's own heart the greatest king that Israel ever had. Verse 18. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. It keeps on going. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. Why would you end this story with a genealogy? Interesting way to end it. And I think one of the reasons is because as you look back in the Old Testament, there are a number of prophecies that royalty would come out of the line of Judah, who was the father of Perez. And here we see these prophecies fulfilled because the line ends in King David, in royalty. A message of joy as this prophecy is fulfilled. Now, I'm going to jump over for a minute to Matthew chapter 1, because here we see another genealogy. In Matthew 1, verse 3, we have Judah and Tamar, parents of Perez, who we saw in our genealogy in Ruth. And then in verse 5, we have Salmon and Rahab. And then we have Boaz and Ruth, the parents of Obed, who was the father of Jesse, who was the father of David. But if you continue down in that genealogy to verse 16, we have the birth of Jesus, the Messiah. Ruth the Moabitess was an ancestor of Jesus, our Messiah, our Savior. A story of joy, just filled with joy. Not only did Ruth have a famous grandson, or great-grandson, King David, she had another famous offspring, Jesus, our Messiah. There's two things that stand out for me as we've worked our way through these two chapters. 
The first one is that this is a story about a redeemer. Boaz stepped forward at a huge expense to himself to be a redeemer. He paid the price that he needed to pay to be Naomi's redeemer, to be Malon's redeemer, to be Ruth's redeemer. And because of the price that Boaz paid, they were redeemed. And then the second thing, the book of Ruth is a story of joy. When Naomi returns to Bethlehem, she's empty. She has no prospects for her future. But as the story carries on, we see her filled with joy. She's able to hold and care for her grandson. She knows that her family line will not end. It will carry on in Obed. And look at Ruth. The beginning of the story, she's a widow, barren. She leaves everything she knows behind to move to a place where she will be seen as a stranger and a foreigner. And at the end of the story, we see her filled with joy, married and having a son. And even Boaz, when we meet him, at first he is an older man, single, childless. And at the end of the story, we see him filled with joy. He has a family. He has a son. Three people who find joy in their lives. But the interesting thing is why they find joy. They find joy because there is a redeemer in the story. Because Boaz chose to be a redeemer. He paid that price, that heavy price, to be a redeemer. He redeemed Ruth from widowhood and gave her a family. He redeemed Ruth from, or Naomi from a lonely life and gave her a family. And even for himself, because he chose to be a redeemer, he gained a family. We too have a redeemer, that distant offspring of Ruth. And we're celebrating. We're celebrating the coming of Jesus. He came to this earth to be our redeemer. He chose to pay the heaviest price possible, his own life, to be our redeemer. He paid that price so that we could be set free. He paid that price so that we could live a full, abundant life. He prayed, paid that price so we could be a part of his family. He paid that price so we could have a life filled with joy. He offers us freedom. He offers us life. He offers us family. And he offers us joy. And the price is already paid. All we need to do is to respond to his call, to reach out and to take the freedom, the life, the joy that he offers to us. He gave his life so that we could have abundant life. It's his gift to us. Jesus is our redeemer. He paid that price for each one of us. And Jesus offers us joy. May we choose today to respond to the call of Jesus and live the life of joy that he offers to us. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, thank you for the gift of Jesus. Thank you that he came to our earth, that he lived a life, but even more, that he died in our place on that cross, that he became our redeemer. And thank you that because he died, we can have life. We can be a part of your family. We can be free. And thank you that because Jesus is our redeemer, we can know a life filled with joy. So may we live in the joy that you have given to us. In Jesus' name, amen.